Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I believe I have demonstrated a clear web of individuals, including politicians, who have contrived and conspired together to get things done and increase their own bank balances by a nod and a wink schemes. New details have emerged about one of Northern Ireland's biggest political scandals. The story of the so-called bad bank, NAMA. The sale of NAMA's entire loan book here, eight years ago, involved disagreement about the purpose of £7.5 million transferred to an Isle of Man bank account in controversial circumstances. Are you satisfied that there was no collaboration with Cerberus by a Namor insider based in Dublin? Because I'm not. And you, if you want the answer, don't bother your Barney asking Namor for the answer because they're not going to give it to you. Key figures involved in that transaction continue a legal battle with each other. A number of people still face criminal charges. Two men are to be charged with fraud relating to the 1.2 billion sale of NAMA's Northern Ireland loan book. A number of TDs made a number of allegations in Dáil Éireann. Then there was an investigation carried out by a committee in the Northern Ireland Assembly. And then the National Crime Agency of the UK. Now a judgment in London's High Court has revealed fresh information behind what went on to secure the largest property transaction here ever. Selling Project Arrow to Cerberus, who are under criminal investigation in America and Britain. How in God's name can that be the case? I'm joined by our Northern Ireland editor, Sam McBride, to explain the significance of these developments. Sam, I think we need to remind ourselves what was, what is NAMA? The National Assets Management Agency was set up by the Republic as its bad bank effectively after the financial collapse in 2008. It took on lots of loans for um, Irish properties whose value had collapsed um, and lots of those properties were in Northern Ireland and that became both economically and politically very sensitive. It meant that the Irish government effectively, the Irish state, owned a big chunk of Northern Ireland In 2014, NAMA sold its Northern Ireland loans, which once had been worth about €4 billion, to the US vulture fund Cerberus for £1.2 billion sterling. That sale was referred to as Project Eagle. It became the subject of really lurid allegations of corruption. And now that is going to be at the heart of what will be a massive criminal court case. Two very senior business figures in Northern Ireland are awaiting trial and charges which stem from the allegation that basically that deal was seriously corrupt. So let's 
just reverse slightly. So they you you sell your loans. That is to say, you have lent out this money to people. They have to pay you back. You you sell that right to be paid back, I suppose. But that was originally worth six billion, and the vulture com- fund comes in Cerberus and gets that for one point two billion. So presumably they hope to be paid back more than the one point two billion. Am I explaining that? Correctly. You are. So essentially, we had this massive housing bubble in Ireland on both sides of the Irish border. And there were very inflated values for land, for property, for all sorts of aspects of housing development, of property development. And in this boom, some developers took on enormous loans. They gave personal guarantees that if the, if their business went down, their house was on the line, uh, they were all in. They had gambled on this market. And at this point, it was clear after a crash in that market that those banks were never getting their money back as they had thought because those assets simply weren't worth what they had once been worth. And so that that created the problem here for the Irish banks. They then get rid of this aspect of their lending off their books give it to the Irish state, put it into this um, this NAMA entity. It looks after this. It tries to pick up the the, uh, the loan repayments from these, um, these major developers where they're able to make those repayments. And in some cases, it knows that it simply will not be getting that money back because the asset has lost its value. And so they sell it to this US vulture fund, a fund which comes in and picks up this sort of really difficult debt, debt where you might not ever get it back. And they get a big discount for that. And they quite ruthlessly in some cases go through that and try to squeeze as much money out of these people as they possibly can. I think I can honestly say this is the first time I've truly understood this very complex story. And like with many stories, Sam, it's the complexity of them and it's the effort it takes to understand them. And it's because of that sometimes we just choose to move on, I suppose. And we we, we then find ourselves in a situation where these stories are very, are very, are very important and they're very complex and they, and they involve some very serious issues. Now, uh, there are two people charged over this particular loan we're talking about, this 7.5 million sent to the Isle of Man. Now, we must stress, as we always do, that these are only charges at this stage and, there's, and, and that's, that's the only thing at stake here. Yes, there are two very prominent figures from the business community in Northern Ireland who are charged. 80-year-old former banker Frank Kushnahan of Alexandra Gate in Hollywood is charged with fraud and with making a false representation. He was on NAMA's Northern Ireland Advisory Board. He was also a former board member of the Office of the First and Deputy First Minister in Stormont. And he was a very prominent Belfast businessman. He, He was well known around Belfast. The second person charged is 50-year-old former solicitor Ian Coulter of Temple Patrick Road in Ballyclare. He is charged with making an article in connection with a fraud and making a false representation. He had been the head of major Belfast law firm Tunes and was also the head of the CBI in Northern Ireland at one time. Both these men have, as you say, always rejected any wrongdoing. They have pled They've pled not guilty to these charges and their trial when it comes will be an extraordinarily significant event, but it seems like a very long way off at this point. And of course, 
you can you can and anything like this 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 will be a trial of extraordinary complexity etc I, I we assume given the nature of the case and that's probably an explanation as to why this happened quite a while ago and yet this is still happening now there are many characters involved in this story for want of a better word and people may or they may remember um Mick Wallace who's now an MEP uh, and he takes radical stances in the European Parliament now. But he he originally started off um, as a as a TD. He originally started off as a builder, of course. And when I say he's colourful, he was colourful in Norway. Known to our listeners for his pink shirts, sometimes in uh, unironed t-shirts, and his big blonde hair. I think it was originally is quite white now. But what connection does the former builder Mick Wallace have to this subject? Well, he is a very colourful figure, as you say, and he is utterly central to this because without what he did here, we may not be sitting here having this conversation and these two individuals may not be facing criminal charges. The National Crime Agency investigation, which has led to these charges, was prompted by really sensational allegations from Mick Wallace in the Doyle. He spoke under Doyle privilege. That meant that he couldn't be sued for what he had said. Otherwise, he, I think, would have been sued for that. This was a very serious allegation of outright corruption which he made under Doyle privilege and he claimed in 2015 that about £7 million sterling was in an Isle of Man bank account and it was reportedly earmarked for a Northern Ireland politician or political party. Now you can imagine the sort of um, massive reaction there was to that. It's not the sort of thing that we're used to being casually thrown around in this jurisdiction and that led to a series of investigations both at Stormont by a Stormont committee, also by the Doyle's Public Accounts Committee. And as, as as those committees went about their work, as they interviewed witnesses, as they compelled people to give them documentation, lots of more um, aspects of this story came into the open. It also had very significant implications for the reputations and for the careers, actually, of some senior political figures, all of whom have fairly consistently rejected the allegations against them. Tishak, at this stage... There is a strong belief that Cerberus were earmarked to get this project hail, rain or snow. And the whole thing was stitched up so that they would get it. And NAMA are involved in that and they cannot distance themselves. And another character, another colourful character in many ways, and someone who's now very well known, wasn't very well known at the time, that was the loyalist blogger, now well-known activist, Jamie Bryson. For those unfamiliar with this story, explain to us what connection could Jamie Bryson possibly have to this? So this this is another slightly bizarre but really fundamental aspect of this story. Jimmy Bryson was, I think, a teenager at the time of the flag protests about a decade ago. He was seen as somebody who um, m- many people in Northern Ireland did not take very seriously. He was seen as something of a figure of fun, somebody who said ridiculous things, who um, pranced around in the street, who re- really wasn't somebody who, who really had to be taken very seriously. And what transformed that was NAMA. It was, what, it was the information that he had 
had. It was his willingness to put that out there and take very significant legal risks. And it was the fact that some of it led to these very serious charges and these very serious criminal investigations. And he was someone who had been given information. We still don't know who gave him that information, but he poured that out into the public domain, both through a blog that he had um, uh, and then ultimately through Stormont. He, he was able to speak at a Stormont Finance Committee hearing. He spoke um, under Stormont Privilege. That meant the media then reported what he had said because it was legally safe to do so. And he was so significant to this that the chairman of NAMA, this, this is somebody who controls more property in Ireland at this point than anybody else, an incredibly significant, powerful figure, said that he was reading Jamie Bryson's blog to find out what was happening here. I mean, that's just astonishing. This guy had been a kid, basically, who had been agitating on the streets. He had been seen as a fairly ludicrous figure by a lot of serious people in Northern Ireland. And suddenly he's so significant that this really powerful financial figure in Dublin is looking at his blog to find out what on earth is going on. Now, that's not to say that everything he said was accurate or right. Lots of what he said has been disputed, has been rejected by those who he made allegations against. But it was being taken very, very seriously. I've provided factual and clear evidence today and raised many valid questions. It is now up to this committee and other experts within this field to robustly interrogate this evidence presentation. I believe I have demonstrated a clear web of individuals, including politicians, who have contrived and conspired together to get things done and increase their own bank balances by an odd and a wink schemes. So this NAMA is obviously a big part of the Jimmy Bryson story and perhaps that's Jimmy Bryson is, a, is an activist who we've spoken about before and I'm sure we'll speak about again. It took him into the big time, if, if you like. The opposite happened to someone else, Dahi Mackay, the Sinn Féin MLA, who was at one stage very much up, up and coming, an articulate person, uh, an articulate and capable politician and this ended his career. It did, so... Daffy Mackay was a North Antrim MLA for Sinn Féin. He was by far one of the most impressive Sinn Féin MLAs. He was young, he was articulate, he understood politics. He seemed to have a very promising career ahead of him and this ended his political career very suddenly. He was the chairman of Stormont's Finance Committee. They were conducting a probe into what had happened here and they invited Jamie Bryson to come and give evidence to them. That in itself was controversial with the DUP. They knew, knew that Jamie Bryson was making allegations against some DUP figures they didn't want him to be able to make those allegations in a form where they could be reported by the media. They wanted that to stay on his blog where, yes, people like the chairman of NAMA might see them and lots of other people would, but most people in the street wouldn't know what was happening here. And there was a there was a major hearing of this committee. Jimmy Bryson came. A vote was taken by members of the committee to hear him in public. He made allegations at that hearing that one of the people who was to benefit from this deal was the then First Minister the then DUP leader, Peter Robinson. Mr. Robinson immediately rejected those allegations. He said that they lacked credibility. He said they can have no evidential basis. He went on to say, I repeat, I neither received, expected to receive, sought, nor was I offered a single penny as a result of the NAMA seal. But then the following year, this 
again entered the public domain because it emerged that Jimmy Bryson had been in private contact with Daffy Mackay behind the scenes prior to giving his evidence. And the allegation was that Daffy Mackay had been, had been involved in coaching him effectively as to how he could make this explosive allegation with huge political implications in a way that could get it through the committee that, 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 that would not stop it being stymied by other members of that Stormont committee. That led to Mr Bryson Mr. Mackay and a North Antrim Sinn Féin member called Thomas O'Hara being charged with conspiracy to commit misconduct in a public office. Those charges, as with the others, have still not come to trial. They're trying to have them thrown out of court. All three of those individuals have always denied the charges. They're taking a legal challenge, which I think is probably going to be heard sometime next year, seeking to have them thrown out. But when Sinn Féin found out what had happened here, or rather I should say, when Sinn Féin saw that this was in the public domain, they decided that Daffy Mackay had to go. And he resigned very abruptly as a North Antrim MLA. He's left politics. He's now working in for a, for a bird charity. He's actually a Belfast Telegraph columnist um, on Saturdays, and a very fine one, I should say. Um, but he is no longer somebody who has any political career ahead of him. Now, as we've heard, and unsurprisingly, this was all huge at the time. But somehow, and I'm, I'm trying to work it out in my own head, somehow, this all just faded away. Other things happened, and I think it's fair enough that a member of the public might say that this all must have been resolved or something, but... but but it really hasn't. No, and I was I was writing about this last week for the first time, probably in years. I had written a lot about this in 2015, a bit in 2016, a bit here here and there after that. But I, when when I came to write about this last week, I really had to go back and brush up as to what had actually happened because it's been so long that even as a journalist who was involved in some of this stuff at the time, I've forgotten lots of it. And I think there there are, there are several reasons for that. There has been obviously a really significant focus on Brexit, on the NI protocol, and all of the huge disruption that that. Has stemmed from that over recent years. There was the RHI scandal, the cash frash scandal, and um, there was there was the pandemic. There's been the there has been there have been two collapses of Stormont in that period. And though those have really taken over the news agenda, there has also been this very long-running National Crime Agency investigation into this. That meant that there was a limit to what we were seeing publicly, even though this was going on behind the scenes. And then finally, once criminal charges are brought against people, there is a limit to what we can say about that. There's a limit to what we can report about that. And it's a very slow process. So for all those reasons, lots of people will not have heard about this for years. And now there's a new twist in the story, It's uh, which is part of the reason why we've chosen to talk about this. And this is that an English High Court judge has handed down a verdict which reveals more of what's gone on. Now, this is a, a very large, long judgment and it's legal and it's complex, but can we find a way of bringing that across to the listener who's maybe doing something else at the same time, why that's significant? I will do my best. And I should say that I don't recommend that anybody reads the 23,000 words of this judgment, even though they can, it's online. It's very heavy stuff. It's very legally technical. But you've done it for them. Well, it was my job to do it. So I will try to now do the other part of my job, which is trying to simplify what it says. So 
it's a fascinating new piece of information because essentially this gives us a significant update on what's been going on behind the scenes. When we haven't been reporting on this, when the BBC, when other other newspapers, when the Press Association, well, when all of us have been looking at other things, this gives us a sense of what's actually been going on. So Mr Justice Foxton was asked in this judgment to decide on whether Chewin's law firm, that's the law firm that Ian Coulter had worked for, who had received this money into their bank account, um, he was asked to decide if they had a right to be indemnified by by Tunes insurers because there is lots of litigation going on behind the scenes here. Tunes wanted to make sure that it was in a good position with its insurance company that they weren't going to find at the last minute that they weren't indemnified for this. And what uh, the and that is to say, to, you know, let's explain what that means. That means if if Tunes lose, their insurance company would pick up the bill for that. Yes. They would stand behind them. But if they're not indemnified and insurance lose, then your insurance company won't stand. They won't pick up the bill. And that's what indemnify means. It does. So there's a lot of money tied up in this, a lot of legal fees. There's actually the money itself, which has now dwindled from from about £9 million pounds to £7.5 million, pounds, now to about just over £4 million, pounds, but that's still sitting in a bank account in Belfast. It hasn't been touched. And so therefore, that that is still in dispute. It's not clear where that money will end up. And there's clearly a liability here, Fortunes. They're having to spend lots of money on this litigation and they want to know that they're ultimately not going to have to pay for that because they say, look, the partners of Tunes now had nothing to do with this. Ian Coulter, whatever he did, he says there was nothing wrong about that, but whatever it was, he did it on his own bat and it was nothing to do with them. Why should they have to um, pick up the tab for this, um, they say? And so that's that's where there is a dis- there is this dispute with their insurers. Their insurers say, actually, no, we, we do not think we have to do this. This was not money that you were expecting. This was money which the insurers say was for what doesn't seem to be very much work. They say there's no reasonable reason why they should have to stand behind them. And so they eventually said, you know what, you're on your own. We're not doing this. Tunes then take this um, up legally with them. They go to arbitration and the arbitrator gives a ruling last year. Ultimately, that ends up in the High Court in London and that's where this judgment comes in. It sets out what has gone on here. So the issue which the judge is deciding is are Tunes insured? To cut that bit short, he largely decides, yes, they are insured. And so therefore, Tunes are in a much better place than they were before this judgment on that front. But there's lots of detail in here about what is alleged to have happened and what actually happened behind the scenes over the last few years. With all that said, we, as we've said at the beginning of this podcast, there is a continuing criminal um, case. And so much of that may depend on the outcome you know, it's indirectly linked, but closely linked to the civil case because many of the facts will be established in the civil case if, if I've got my facts correct. So that's why this is, could be very, very significant in terms of the judge laying out the facts as 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 he sees them at this stage. Yes. So there is quite an unusual disclaimer given by the judge at the start of this judgment where he says that he says that there are no factual findings in either a civil or a criminal case which is related to this on which he can base his judgment. And so therefore he cautioned that his verdict should not be interpreted to involve, quote, any factual findings as to the conduct or state of mind of any individual, nothing in this judgment is in any way intended to prejudge or influence those other proceedings. 
But despite that very significant caveat, it does give us some new information as to what is either alleged or as to what actually happened. And when we go back to the actual NAMA deal itself in 2014, this was sold to the US vulture fund Cerberus. And that firm was represented by a law firm called Brown Rudnick. They then employed Tunes as an agent in Belfast. And so the fee that they were given as a success fee for getting the transaction was split 50-50 between Brown Rudnick and Tunes in Belfast. What this judgment says is that in March 2014, a few months before the deal is struck, there was a letter to Cerberus from Brown Rudnick where it set out that if the deal went through, it would be entitled to a success fee of £15 million. It said Brown Rudnick shall pay 50% of the, of the success fee to Tunes in respect of services rendered by Tunes in connection with the consummation of the transaction. The question here is, what was the service that Tunes was providing? The allegation, the criminal allegation, is that this was some sort of backhander, that there was, um, that, 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 was that was basically a, a corrupt payment to help get the deal through. And so that's where this becomes very, very important. Both of these law firms at the time agreed to terms which included a series of statements that nothing they do would be in breach of the anti-corruption laws and that no one involved would make any payment, would make any loan or any gift to a government official to influence their decisions. And all of this was signed off on by by Tunes, by Mr. Coulter for Tunes, um, and by Brown Rudnick. And 10 days after this draft letter, NAMA agreed to sell to Cerberus, with the transaction then completed on the 20th of June. And the judge says quite interestingly that at that point, no engagement letter, no formal signed engagement letter, had yet been entered into between Brown Rudnick and Tuins. But then, about a mo- about two months later, on, on the 13th of August, Brown Rudnick wrote to Mr. Coulter asking him to sign a letter of engagement to be dated the 8th of July, so to backdate that, and to issue an invoice for the success fee dated the 13th of August 2014. And he did both of those things. And the judgment then says that two days later, Brown Rudnick paid £7.5 million plus VAT, that's £9 million in total, to a Tunes account with Danske Bank, which it has been alleged was not their ordinary office account. On the 19th of August 2014, it's alleged that Mr. Coulter told his partners at the law firm that he had generated a fee of £1.5 million on a highly confidential transaction relating to the purchase of loans from NAMA. And then on the 15th of September of that year, it's alleged that Mr. Coulter arranged for the transfer of £7.2 million of that sum. That's an amount equivalent to the £6 million which Mr. Coulter had not revealed to his partners. It is alleged and 20% VAT out of the Danske Bank account in Belfast to an account in the name of a company registered in the Isle of Man, which it is alleged that Mr. Coulter had established. And then the judgment says... Between the 24th and the 26th of November 2014, it is alleged that Mr. Coulter told the other partners in a series of meetings about the full amount of the tunes fee and the fact that a significant amount had been paid into the bank account of the Isle of Man company. And then following these meetings on the 1st of December of that year, £6 million of the transferred amount was returned from the Isle of Man back to Belfast to the to the tunes account from which it had originally been transferred. The remainder of that then is paid the following February, that's February 2015. 
And in the interim, in January of, of 2015, Mr. Coulter leaves Tunes. There is a there is a clearly a dispute about this issue. He leaves the company, and after paying VAT and income tax, Tunes said to the judge in England that by January 2021, the original nine million pounds of a success fee had fallen to 4.088 million pounds. That's still held in a Tunes account, and the firm has agreed not to move that money out of that account without getting permission mission from the National Crime Agency. And then Brown Rudnick sued Tunes. So these people are essentially at each other's throats. They've been central to this deal happening. Now they've fallen out over this issue. They wanted the money back. They said that Mr. Coulter had misled them about this issue. Um, the the letter from Brown Rodnick went further. It claimed that a total of more than £30 million was owed to them because they said that has, this had cost them a fortune in either lost earnings from people who were their big fee earners, they had been diverted into other work here, or um, from, from, the, from the other damage that had been done to their company out of this issue. That was rejected by Tunes. That issue has not yet been resolved, but all of this now is tied up in the criminal case, which until it is resolved, lots of this will not finally be known in, in, in terms of a clear outcome. That is incredibly complicated. Let's be honest, it's incredibly complicated. And we're talking about a bad bank set up by the Republic of Ireland, uh, which had significant interests in Northern Ireland. And the purpose of that bad bank, to remind ourselves, was to deal with bad loans, loans which people couldn't pay back. And it was a mechanism to allow, to bail out the banks, I suppose the expression is, to allow the banks to continue their normal operations and that NAMA would take on these bad loans and deal with them. And that involved an awful lot of money. And that involved uh, a number of transactions which we struggle to explain. I say that without prejudice. I'm just very aware that we need to tell the listener as much as we possibly can tell the listener, um, as much as we can possibly know or explain. But we are left in a very highly complex situation and there are many highly complex legal issues. So where do we stand on all of this today? What's the current situation now? Well, first of all, let me let me let me say this to try to explain to listeners. The reason why lots of that sounds very technical and is phrased quite carefully is because this is very legally complicated. It's also very factually complicated. There are lots of people who allege different things and we have to to, to be fair to each of those people and to keep ourselves legally right, we've got to go through that in that way. But the reason why this matters is because this is the biggest property transaction in the history of Northern Ireland. There has never ever been a property transaction of this scale. And given that alone, this is hugely significant, given the fact that these allegations are of serious criminality and corruption of a sort that you might get in a in a, in a, in a very underdeveloped country, um, and I'm not saying that to be in any way pejorative, but in a, in a part of the world where you might expect outright corruption of this sort, we're not used to this sort of thing in Northern Ireland. And we, we ought not to be used to the idea that this sort of stuff gets thrown around lightly. This is very serious. Charges have been brought by the... Na- by, 
by the by the National Crime Agency making making a recommendation to the Public Prosecution Service. They've looked at this, um, and so essentially we, we we've got a web of litigation here, as well as the criminal case against um, Messrs Kushnahin and Coulter, and the second criminal case, which is against Jimmy Bryson, Dathy Mackay, and Thomas O'Hara. Brown Rudnick is suing Chewins, as I've said. Chewins is suing Mr. Coulter. Cerberus's insurers have sued Chewins. Um, that has been discontinued now. Some of this litigation might be explained by the fact that there is a six-year time limit for starting some of these claims. You, 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 you have six years in which to bring your claim, and if you don't, you really can't do it. So some of these companies might be getting their oar in, trying to get this started. Whether that goes anywhere remains to be seen. But in the case before the London High Court, there is there is some more detail again about what actually has been going on last year in some of this legal dispute between these, these uh, companies. Mr. Justice Foxton quoted from arbitration between Royal and Sun Alliance and Tunes over this issue of insurance last year. And he said that in that uh, in that arbitration process, the arbitrator set out that Tunes' fee was for, quote, strategic advice, facilitation of necessary political contacts, intelligence gathering and oversight thereof, and deal structuring, which were all carried out here by Mr. Coulter. Right. I, j- I just feel I have to jump in there. We have the High Court judge, Mr. Justice Foxton, and he's quoting from the arbitrator who, who attempted to, to, to come to a resolution in this. And he said the Chewin's fee was for strategic advice, facilitation of necessary political contacts, intelligence gathering and oversight thereof, and deal structuring, all of which, uh, which were all carried out here by Mr. Coulter. Now... I would have expected Chewin's fee to be for legal advice. Strategic advice may may fall under that. But facilitation of necessary political contacts, intelligence gathering, and deal structuring. Uh, you know, I have to say that are those, are those normal services provided by a, a, a legal entity? The honest answer to that is that I'm not sure but it certainly catches the eye and it catches the eye for this reason. This seven and a half odd million pounds is absolutely central to this story. If the money is absolutely legitimate, the question is, what was this for? And this is the most detailed explanation I think I have seen um, since this story broke many years ago as to what it is said this is for. Now, this this is the view of the arbitrator. As I understand it, Mr. Coulter wasn't involved in these proceedings at all, so we don't know his input into this. We also don't know exactly the full context of what else the arbitrator said. I asked Tunes for a copy of the arbitrator's report. I asked RSA, Royal and Sun Alliance, for a copy of that. Neither of them would give it to me. I understand it's confidential. Maybe they can't do that. So we we are seeing a line from that coded by the judge, but coded by a judge who I think we can assume is being fair to the context in which he read that. And that gives us some sense of what this money was said to be for. And this is something which I think is significant new information. And he said in his concluding remarks, now, as, as you've said, if you've, as you've written already, he missed, and let's be clear about this, Mr. Justice Foxton found largely in favour of Chewins, saying that the terms of its insurance meant that RSA could not withdraw cover. And we've said that but that a serious irregularity by the arbitrator meant that part of this issue had to go back to arbitration. 
You know, and then he said in his concluding remarks, he referred to the size of the truant's fee, the unusual nature of the transaction, and the obscure nature of the services being provided. However, he did say that the uh, the RSA had deployed all of those factors in support of his argument, and that argument had been re- was rejected. Who who rejected that argument then? Well, that that was ultimately rejected both by the arbitrator um, and by the judge. The judge upheld that aspect of what the arbitrator had found. But for the judge to say here that this was this was a transaction which was of an unusual nature, to say that there was an obscure nature to the services being provided, to commenting on the size of the chewing's fee. I mean, that's that's something which which is on unmissable in the context of what is alleged about this. That's not somebody who is ignorant of the sort of size of fees that, that, that normal solicitors get for their work. That's not somebody who is ignorant of the nature of commercial transactions. Mr. Justice Foxton is a court is a judge in the High Court in the um in the London High Court Commercial Court. So he is very au fait with um major commercial transactions. And he is making these comments. And that I think adds to the sense that there is something really interesting about this and something which means that when it comes to the criminal case, people are going to be paying very close attention to this. This is a hugely significant story. And that's why we're talking about this. So if anybody's wondering, like, you know, why are these guys talking about this uh, podcast? The size of the fee, the unusual nature of the transaction and the obscure nature of the services being provided by the firm. That's why we're talking about this as journalists. Now, we're journalists. We're not involved in the criminal justice system, of course, and there is the criminal case, it continues, and everybody involved proclaims their innocence. That's the situation. It is. Um, and I think that there, there, is, there is a sense here that this, this is a very slow process. And I think that when you look at that objectively, it doesn't seem to me that anybody really right now is benefiting from that. This, this is very complicated. It's going to take a long time to get to the bottom of. That's obvious. But we are years after the event. We're eight years after the transaction itself. We're seven years after the allegation involved serious corruption. And it seems from what I can pick up from various sources that we're at least two years away from this ever going to trial. Maybe more than that. One person said to me they thought maybe 2024 at the earliest. Another person said 2025. Nobody really knows. I spoke to one person who said that there is no sense that this is a case that's being expedited. There's no urgency about this. It's just trundling through the legal system. I spoke to somebody who said that there are millions of pages of documentation um, which have been gathered and which which have been produced by the National Crime Agency as part of their investigation. That is going to be a very slow process to work through that in terms of discovery um, for, for, for both sides of the case, for um, any, any if there's, if there's a retrial here, if there's an appeal here. This is going to go on for years. And in that period, these two individuals face these serious charges. They want to clear their names. Where does this leave Northern Ireland PLC? Well, although Mr Coulter and Mr Cushnahan are facing these very serious charges which they reject and they obviously remain completely innocent unless a court decides they are guilty, the wider NAMA case here involves more than simply the question of whether these two individuals are cleared or convicted. 
The failure, I think, to substantively hold anyone to account for the RHI scandal, which most people will be very familiar with, where only a single civil servant got really what was a pretty gentle slap on the wrist, while taxpayers lost a very substantial sum of money, while some of the honest participants in the scheme were abandoned by government, etc. That really undermined public confidence in lots of Northern Ireland's big institutions. As the economist Esmond Burney has observed, that case is something which will have, which will leave lasting damage for Northern Ireland's international reputation as a place to invest. If you're an investor, you want certainty. You want to know that you're operating in a place where laws are enforced, where you know what you're dealing with, where there is no sense that people who are in the know get preferential treatment or anything improper of that nature. That was alleged in RHI. It was alleged in NAMA. In RHI, it was ultimately found by the public inquiry that there hadn't been corruption but even those who were found to be seriously incompetent weren't dealt with appropriately, I think it's fair to say. And in this case, many years after the event, no, no clear findings have been found here. And so therefore, I think that that is something which has got significant implications for how some people will look at Northern Ireland as a place to invest and which potentially will undermine Northern Ireland's reputation internationally. So we, this story has been around a long time. It's going to continue to be around a long time. What's the next stage? It's going to be a legal stage, lots of legal stages. This case gets periodically mentioned in the High Court. That's a legal process where the judge brings the two parties before him. He asks them for an update on it. They maybe make applications to him for various things like discovery. That will happen every few months probably. And we're going to see this trundling gradually towards conclusion. But there is no sense that this is something which is going to be resolved either in a criminal sense or in terms of knowing actually what happened here for years to come. So Sam McBride, Northern Ireland editor with the Belfast Telegraph. I'm sure we'll be speaking about these circumstances again. Thanks again. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from RTE. And if you want to find out more about this very complex story, head to belfasttelegraph.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.